right, 1 John 5, beginning in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Many Christians today are self-appointed experts on the issues that are most important to them. End times prophecy, the newest Christian diet plan, independent faith healers who also happen to sell stuff you can only get from them, critics who claim they could do a better job leading a country or a church or a school or a hospital or a company better than anyone else who's actually doing the work day in and day out. A simple Google search can find websites, books, and YouTube videos to support any opinion. The information age makes it possible for you to find expert testimony to support anything that is important to you. Look long enough, and you will find others to affirm your views and your insecurities. Sadly, however, many Christians today are not experts on the only knowledge that is ultimately worth knowing, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Too many believers today want to be experts about everything peripheral, avoiding that which is central, knowledge of the Lord Jesus and how we are saved by his blood. People know how to ask Google to help them find a video to support their cause, but they don't know how to open their Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to help them to understand and apply it. Man's testimony about temporal matters is massively more important to them than God's testimony about matters of eternity. And yet God's testimony is the testimony that matters. It is the central matter on the mind of the Apostle John when he writes this letter. We see this repeatedly in this passage, the word testimony, referring to God's testimony. You go on then and look at verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We should stand in awe of this truth that by the very testimony of God, we can know 
that our sins are forgiven. We can know that we have eternal life. And we can know that now rather than waiting right before our funeral to find out. How can we know we are saved? How can we know that we have eternal life? That's what this little letter of 1 John is all about. And the answer simply is this, by believing God's own testimony, by believing God's own words concerning his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our big idea this morning from today's passage. Eternal life is given to those who embrace God's testimony concerning his Son. This is an incredibly simple truth. If you are like I am, you perhaps were raised in a works religion whereby you were told over and over and over, you need to do this and this and this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And at the end of your life, you might, you might get into heaven. And what a weight of burden, what a guilt trip that is when the freedom of the gospel is so much more clear that eternal life is a gift from God. And it's a gift to those who embrace his testimony about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Repeatedly, John makes this clear. Look back at chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard from, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. John says there are many messages out there concerning spiritual life, but the one message that is true is the message that is based upon God's own testimony. What God says about the Lord Jesus is infinitely more important and true than what anyone else might say about him. Then look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And then repeatedly in today's passage, we see words such as this in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in in himself. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. We are called by God to embrace 
his testimony. And different from any other testimony of any other person, God's testimony is always reliable. God's testimony is always sure. It is always true. It always speaks to the deepest needs of our heart. So let's look at today's passage together and notice that there are three ways to react to God's testimony. That is, that we are called to embrace God's testimony concerning his son. Number one, agree with three trustworthy witnesses. Now, I confess that at the first reading of this passage, the next few verses, it seems a bit confusing. They are some of the trickiest verses in the scriptures. And yet, when we understand why John wrote his letter and who he was writing it to in the first place, it actually becomes quite simple to understand. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's pretty clear. Jesus Christ, John says, is he who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. So there are these three trustworthy witnesses that John brings to the table to present to his readers the reliability of God's testimony concerning Christ. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. The reason this is important is because the Old Testament law required a minimum of two witnesses. That at the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact shall be verified. And so John brings three witnesses to the table to validate the testimony that he is about to tell us about Christ. Well, what are these three witnesses that John speaks about? Well, the first is very clear, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who testifies, verse 6. And who is this Spirit? It is the Spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit. This is that same spirit of truth we've seen over and over in this book, that the Holy Spirit, the one who came upon Jesus at his baptism and then empowered him to perform all of his miracles, is the third person of the Trinity. He is the Spirit of God, and he's called the Spirit of Truth because Jesus called him that in John 16 when Jesus promised to send him. He said, when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We have a world filled with people who speak on their own authority. And they just want a bunch of people to follow them. And even the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own authority, John says, or Jesus said in in the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit speaks on the authority of the Father and the Son with whom he shares the triune Godhead. He is the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. 
And so John says, this testimony that I've been telling you about in this letter, this testimony concerning who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us is the testimony of the Spirit of truth. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit always in agreement. Well, that's the easiest of the three to understand. Then he talks about the water and the blood, that Jesus is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And the spirit and the water and the blood, these three agree, verse 8. They agree about the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. Now, remember the context that John wrote in. That's how we understand how to interpret John's words. The context determines how to interpret them. Now remember that John was defending the gospel. He was defending the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, that that Jesus Christ is both God and man. He was defending that against the heresy of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism believed that the spirit was good, but the body was evil. And their minds were already made up. And therefore, the only way they could then adapt Jesus into their already fixed religion was to claim that Jesus Christ was not fully God in human flesh. Instead, they taught that Jesus was a good moral teacher on whom the eternal Christ rested for a period of time. And so the Gnostics took their already fixed system of religion, and then, now that they had to deal with the the reality of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and all of these people who believe and follow him, they tried to adapt, they tried to mix the two together, which is quite common. We know all about that in today's world. People are always trying to mix a little bit of truth into a lot of error and then say it's good stuff. But it's not good stuff. John presents his witnesses, that is, water and blood. And the reason he does this is because the Gnostics taught that the eternal Christ came down upon the man Jesus at his baptism and then left him prior to his crucifixion. So they were dealing with this, trying to figure out how can they keep Jesus in their system, which says that the spirit is good and the body is bad. And so John presents his witnesses, and the witnesses are water and blood, or the baptism and the death of Jesus Christ. They are bookends of God's testimony concerning who Jesus is. If you remember way back a while ago when we went through the Gospel of Mark, you remember we looked at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ and we understood what the gospel, several of the Gospels teach. That is, that at the moment of Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke. And the Father said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And so God was affirming both the deity and the humanity of his Son. 
Now some might say, well, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Jesus wasn't a sinner. Well, Jesus was baptized according to the Gospels, according to the very mouth of Jesus, in order that all might be fulfilled. He took our place. And so he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled God's command, and he presented himself to John the Baptist to be baptized. The Gospel of John describes it this way. Listen to John the Baptist's testimony. The next day, John says, John the writer, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have been borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God at his baptism by the Father and by the presence of the Spirit. He is the one who came by water. So far, the Gnostics would have been fairly okay with that in the sense that they did believe that, or they thought, that the eternal Christ was separate from Jesus himself, so the eternal Christ came upon Jesus at the baptism. But what they rejected was that Jesus, Jesus who went to the cross, was God, that he was Christ. And so John goes on to say, not only by water, but also by the blood, by his death. His death testifies of who he is. Through his death, God was testifying concerning his son. I mean, think about just some of the supernatural events that took place at the time of the crucifixion. In the middle of the afternoon, three hours of complete darkness over the land. The veil of the temple being torn in two, not from the bottom to the top as if man could do that, but from the top to the bottom. Clearly a supernatural event. What about the earthquake and the shaking of the, of the graves of believers and believers in Jerusalem coming out of the grave and walking into the city to give testimony of Christ? You have all these testimonies that are given. The testimony of God concerning his Son. So these three witnesses, John says, testify of the truthfulness of God's revelation. And to be saved, you must accept their testimony. You must agree with their testimony that what they say of Christ is true. 
And so he says in verse 9, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. I mean, think about all the people in your life that you trust. Okay, maybe you don't expect trust them 100% explicitly, but you trust them at very, very many levels and very many people. And John says, if we receive the testimony of men, how much more should we receive the testimony of God? If we receive the testimony of sinful men who are flawed and deceived and lie to themselves and perhaps even lie to us, how much more should we believe every word of God's testimony to us about Jesus? We must believe God's testimony about Christ, or we cannot be Christians. We cannot be saved if we do not believe his testimony. Well, there's a second way, then, we must react to God's testimony. And that is to appraise two opposite responses. I want you to see in verse 10, there are two opposite responses to God's testimony concerning his son. And every human being in this world can be placed in one of these two categories, you might say. There are only two ways to respond to what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. The first response is that of belief and trusting God's Testimony. Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Well, that's a reference to the inner confirmation of the Holy Spirit. That the moment you and I turn from unbelief and our sin and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and we embrace him as Savior, we embrace him as Lord the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and he then gives testimony to us and with us concerning Christ. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Holy Spirit, who indwells us as believers in Christ, communicates with our human spirit giving testimony that we really are children of God. And Paul then goes on to say, one of the most powerful times in which that becomes reality for us experientially is in times of suffering. We're children, heirs of God, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Holy Spirit within us enables us to suffer differently than those who do not know Jesus. We suffer. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Christians 
will be exempt from suffering. In fact, the opposite is, is promised. But we suffer very differently, Paul says. We suffer with a hope. We can endure today's suffering because of a future hope, a hope that is in the life to come, the eternal life, the promise of eternal life to those who believe in Jesus. So that's that first response, is belief or trusting God's testimony. But then in verse 10, he goes on to say there's a second kind of response, opposite response. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Clearly, John is saying that if we do not believe what the Bible says concerning Jesus Christ as being God in the flesh who came to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life, then we are calling God a liar. We are rejecting his testimony. The unbeliever wants more evidence, more testimony, as often occurred in the Gospels. For example, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 5, if you want to turn there, go ahead, otherwise just listen. But you have unbelieving Jews who are extremely offended by what the Lord Jesus is teaching, primarily that he is uh, offering himself to them as God, claiming to be God, which is a rightful claim for him. But their unbelieving hearts just wanted more testimony, more witness, more evidence. And so he says in verse 36 of John 5 to this audience, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So not only do my words bear testimony, but my works bear testimony of who I am. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote of me. These unbelieving Jews didn't want to believe in Jesus. They wanted more evidence. They wanted more revelation from God. 
But they already had enough, Jesus said. They had Moses, who testified about the future coming of Christ. Throughout the law of Moses, there are these pictures of redemption. And they had Christ himself standing right in front of them, and yet they refused to believe. They wanted more testimony, more evidence before deciding what to do with Jesus Christ. Perhaps that describes you. Perhaps you are not convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in the flesh to redeem you from your sin, and you want God to prove himself even more. Oh, I would believe, God, if you just gave me a sign. If you would just give me more revelation, I would believe. And Jesus says to those unbelieving Jews, as he would say to us, you already have enough. You have the scriptures which testify of me. The jury is not still out. Scripture repeatedly affirms the truthfulness of God's testimony. And now you and I must make a choice. We must decide whose testimony we are going to believe. Will you believe God's testimony about his own son? Or will you invent a system of faith to affirm what you already prefer to believe? Are you willing to call God a liar? Or are you willing to submit to the truth of his testimony and come to Jesus for eternal life? There are two ways to respond. Then there's a third way to react to God's testimony. Number three. This is the only one true way. Abide in one glorious promise. Abide in this one glorious promise from God. The promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Look at verse 11, because here's the content of the testimony. We've been hearing all about the testimony and why the testimony should believed, be, be believed, but what exactly is the testimony? John makes it very clear, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the testimony, John says. This is the truth. This is the content of God's own testimony, which you must embrace by faith. And it is simply this. Eternal life is in the Son of God. Eternal life is in the Son of God. Jesus testifies, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And Jesus actually defines eternal life this way in John 17. When he's praying to the Father, he says, This is eternal life, 
that they know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son possesses the Son, not merely professes the Son, but possesses the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. But if you do not have the Son of God, you do not have life. I was born and raised in a works religion that I could never keep up with. I could never keep up with the rules and the regulations and the things that I was supposed to do that I wouldn't do and the things I wasn't wasn't supposed to do, which I did. And so heavy was the guilt, so heavy was the burden of knowing that my sins were not forgiven no matter how much they testified to me that if you just confess your sins to the priest and then the priest tells you this is what you need to do, then, then he can forgive you, then the priest can forgive you. I knew in my heart of hearts that that wasn't true, that my sin was too great for any one man to forgive. And so it was so refreshing, it was so liberating when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see that Christianity is not about what we do, 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 but it's about trusting in the one who has done, done, done it all. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's already done it all. He took our sins to the cross. He was punished in our place. He endured and absorbed the wrath of God for us so that we could be forgiven and we could become children of God and we could know him in relationship. Shortly after the Lord brought me to faith in himself, brought me to faith in Christ, turned from my sin to the Savior, these verses, 11 and 12, were some of the first verses that I memorized. And so they are so precious to me. Look at them again with me and notice the simplicity of the truth. I don't know your background. I don't know where you come from all that you have been taught throughout your life. But if you're anything like I was, then you probably have a mixed up combination of stuff you've been taught about religion and about spirituality and about Jesus. And let me just say that God's word is so simple and true and it cuts through all of that muck and says something this clear and this simple. This is the testimony of God. This is God's testimony. This is God telling us the truth. That God gave us eternal life. So eternal life is a gift. Not something you and I can work for. 
It's a gift. And this life, this eternal life, is in his Son. So this eternal life is bound up in Jesus, and so Jesus is the only one who has the authority to give it to us. And if you have the Son, verse 12, then you have life. And if you don't have the Son of God, you do not have eternal life. So every person in this room falls into one of those two groups in verse 12. And I don't know who you are because I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I do know this. That verse 12 says that some of you have the Son. You have Jesus. Not merely as someone you profess, but someone you possess. That you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have embraced Christ, and you're trusting in him and not yourself for salvation. While others of you are in that second group, don't have the Son of God, which means you don't have eternal life. And that's not a statement of judgment upon anybody, because in the early, 19, me, early 1984, the beginning of 1984, I was the second part of verse 12. I had been raised in religion, and I knew who Jesus was, at least for the most part. I knew some of what he had done, but I didn't know he had done it for me. I was taught that he did it for the church. Now the church gets to decide how to dispense it to me. That's not what the scriptures teach. But by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit used the Bible to open my eyes and move me from the second part of verse 12 to the first part of verse 12. And I came to know the Lord Jesus. And he gave me his eternal life. And so verse 13 then became so precious to me because prior to that time period, if anyone would have asked me, Paul, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? I would have said, maybe, maybe. I've done this and this and this, but which are pretty decent, but I've done this and this and this and infinitely more that I'm never going to tell you about, which is evil. I, I couldn't know and yet, what does verse 13 say? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is bound up in Christ, having Christ and Christ having you. The first verse of a really old hymn reminds us of this truth. Loved with everlasting love, drawn by grace that love to know, spirit sent from Christ above, 
Let's witness it is so. Oh, this full and precious peace from his presence all divine in a love that cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. Is that your testimony this morning? Can you say in your heart of hearts, I am his and he is mine? God wants you to know that you are forgiven and saved and have new life in Christ. And so if you are here today and this is new, new news to you like it was to me many years ago, let me say to you, just pray simply, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes and open my heart that I might see Christ for who he really is and embrace him by faith. God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your testimony. We thank you that you're not a liar. You're not a man that you would lie, but you are God, you are truth. And so every word you've given to us in your scripture is true. It may not be easy for us to understand all the time, but you help us. You open our eyes by the Spirit of God and you open our heart to receive the testimony, to accept it, to agree with it, to believe that what you say to us about ourselves is true, that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves. But it's also true that you give us infinitely good news, and that is that the Lord Jesus Christ has so loved us that he was willing to go to the cross and to carry our sin burden on that cross and then to be put to death so that we could come to life. Thank you, Lord, for raising him three days later. And I just pray that the Spirit of God who knows our hearts would take these truths and apply them in life-giving ways, that more and more each day we would grow in our understanding and our trust of the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.